I'm Jeff Cole. I've been a member at Mountor for about 15 years. I joined the church uh, soon after I got divorced because they had a good program um, for singles as well as for, for youth. And so it was a great opportunity for me to bring my family into a good, healthy environment. I'm Izzy Wise. I have been a member of the church for about 12 years. Um, I became involved in Mount Horeb because I was driving by one Saturday and saw that they had a Saturday service and went in because I needed to be at church and I haven't left since. So I got started in missions many, many years ago. I'd signed up my younger daughter to go to Long Island, New York on a mission trip and I knew that she was not going to go by herself and so I signed myself up as a chaperone and that was the first first trip for me mission-wise. After that I was really inspired. I did 10 additional trips which included Guatemala, Dominican Republic, and Alaska and that led me to um, signing up for the Liberia trip at the beginning of this year, 2023. Going into Liberia, into the community that we went into, um, there were houses that were made of just dirt or uh, mud bricks and they were falling apart. And so we went in, we brought in concrete to build new houses that were gonna last. And it was amazing because we got to see them from the beginning all the way through to a couple of finished ones and just to be able to see the progress that was made to see some of the families that we're gonna be able to move into, into those um, homes. When you're making an impact, you're really adding value. It changes you, it has an impact on you. And I think that's something that you know, I come back from those trips and it's like, wow, I can't wait to do the next one. So when I go on mission trips, I've got goals. I wanna go and I wanna help the community. I wanna get engaged with the community and do some really constructive service. I wanna get to know every member on my team. It was a great place to go, to work with people, to experience that community, and just to come back refreshed and have a new sense of where, where God is doing work. I had said to the ER doctor, I was like, he just came back from Africa 15 days ago and it switched. The hospitalist came in, others came in, more drugs were given, more blood was pulled. Um, they literally went from an, oh, we see this every day to an, oh my gosh, what we, you know, he became a phenomenon because no one really understood or knew what was going on. And that night started the journey of, you know, we went from him just thinking he had food poisoning to completely. Yeah, that's when all the fun started. They were saying to me, you know, if he does make it, um, if he does survive, if, not thinking when, but if, 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 um, and, um, if he does, we're gonna have to have like sticky notes on how to make coffee and sticky notes on how to brush your teeth. Who stays at home and could you be there with them? So they were giving me all of the preparation and questions of if your husband does survive, it's not going to be the normal life that you, you have given or you have made yourselves. It's gonna be something completely different. On that Tuesday night, I remember coming to the IVs in my arms and the tubes in my nose and my mouth, and oh yeah, I checked into the hospital. I have malaria, and I, and I was pondering on this. And I don't know if, if I was pondering on it for 10 minutes, an hour, or three hours, but 
it became clear to me I had a lot of pain in my torso. And, I, and then it happened. I had an encounter and it felt like the sun just kind of appeared in my room. I could just feel the power emanating. And I'm like, oh, God's here. He's here to take me away. Because I was in a ton of pain. I'm like, all right, God, I feel your presence. Um, I've had a great life. I'm ready to go. And the response was no. <laughs> I'm like, what the heck? Are you kidding me? This is this is really hurting. I'm not liking this. Let's just let's just go. He's like, no. If you think this is bad, you don't understand what Christ went through at the cross, and you've got more to do. And I just kind of felt this boom, and it was like, oh God, humble. They kept saying that he was a miracle, and they kept seeing our faith in the Lord, and they kept seeing, I mean, we had so many conversations about the Lord. Um, they said that they called him the Marathon Man because he unfortunately was supposed to run the Boston Marathon and wasn't going to be able to, but he had trained so hard for it, and they said if he wouldn't have trained hard for that, like his organs would have really, really suffered, um, but his coming back was definitely because of the shape and the health that he was in. Every day there was a miracle after that, things that he wasn't supposed to be doing. We thought we were going to be on dialysis for at least nine months, and he quit in three weeks. Malaria, yeah, it, it totally humbled me. It, it took away pretty much everything, physical, mental. I'm, I'm laying there in the bed, and I, I'm starting to get my cognitive ability back. And I remember literally thinking, you know, oh my gosh, you know, how long have I been here? And Izzy comes in, and I, the first day I asked her when I was getting it back, well, what day is it? And she told me Wednesday. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've been out of it for three days? And I kind of reveled in that for a while, and I remember thinking, I wonder if I've been cognitively impaired by being in this bed for three days. And then the next day I'm talking to her, I said, I can't believe I've been out of it for three days. And she kind of looks at me, three. <laughs> so I came in Sunday, right? She said, yeah, like a week ago. So it's, oh, it was 10. And that made me really go back to, into, oh my gosh, is my brain damaged? He went from being where we weren't sure what was going to happen to like, uh, is this really happening? Like, are you really walking? Are you really talking? Are you really eating? Are you really, is your heart rate really good? Like they would look at his heart rate and be like, your heart rate should not be this good right now. like, okay, well, my goals are to get off medication, get off dialysis, you know, get back out, be active. And they're like, hold on, whoa, whoa, it's going to take a while. And they, they were like, we're not sure you'll ever be off of medications. And I would say, you know, at this point, I'm off of all of them. And I, I, I take it all the way back to you. I have that encounter with God. I got more to do. I like to set goals. I've got a mission statement. So I just set goals. If I hit them, great. If I don't, at least I'm making progress. And so it's, let's make a little bit of progress here. Let's make a little bit of progress here. And as Izzy said, I don't think I don't think I expected to be here at all at this point, you know, six months after being out of rehab. I had a friend recently asked me, you know, what changed in you from this experience? And I struggled with that for a while, so I really kind of wrestled with it. And I'm like, you know, two things really happened. Number one, I was completely humbled. I mean, fast forward the next few weeks, I mean, waking up in the bed, I can't do anything for myself. And the second thing it did is it just reinforced and strengthened my faith. Once you have an encounter like that, it changes you. 
Deuteronomy 130 says, the Lord will go before you and fight your fight, all will be well. You know, they talk about the storms at church, like, you know, things are gonna go well, but there's gonna be a storm, there's gonna be a storm. And I always wondered, oh great, what's my storm gonna be? What's our storm gonna be? And I look back at it and I'm like, that was our storm, but because my, our lives are centered on the Lord and built strongly in the Lord, it was able to be handled and it was, there were scary times, but there was always the fallback of knowing that he's got me, no matter what it is. If Jeff would have passed, it would have been horribly sad, but he's got me. Good morning, church. Uh, my name is Trevor Miller. I'm one of the pastors here at Mount Horeb, and I just want to take a moment. I know Jeff may hate this before us, but Jeff's in the second row right here. Jeff, would you stand just so we can we can honor you this morning and say thank you for sharing your story today. So in 2013, um, I had the privilege to uh, lead a trip to New York to do a rebuilding after Hurricane Sandy, and that was the first time I met Jeff Cole on that trip. And we quickly became really good friends. And after that, we spent time in Alaska together on a mission trip. And then last February, he and I traveled together to Liberia as I led the, that trip alongside of Janice to Liberia. And watching that video floods back all kinds of emotions for me. I remember getting the first text from Izzy um, a few days after we gotten back from Liberia and that first text saying that Jeff was in serious trouble. I remember going to the hospital two days after Jeff had been admitted there and the day I went in, he has no clue <laughs> that I was there. Um, and sat with Izzy and prayed over him. And I remember when we walked out, Izzy told me, listen, we don't know if Jeff makes it out of this. And I went and sat in my truck and I wept. And as Izzy and Jeff and our Liberian team and our church rode the waves of emotions with good news and then bad news and then good news and bad news, I remember our Liberian team gathered together in the prayer room over by the sanctuary and we intervened on Jeff's behalf, asking God to heal him. And I can tell you that in those weeks of Jeff's struggle, I've never in my life prayed as hard or as fervently as I did for my brother and for my friend. I learned something through this incredible story that's been a blessing to so many across our community. And I learned that there is power in prayer. There is power in prayer. That's what this whole morning is based on. In fact, as you read through the scriptures, 850 times in the Bible, the word prayer is mentioned. And according to that number, I would say that it's extremely important and it's pivotal to our relationship with God. Prayer is one of the most significant things that we do as believers. It strengthens our connection to God. It deepens our faith. And I have deep conviction that it truly, truly works. Our passage today that we're gonna look into hits this topic of the importance of prayer right on the head. This passage takes place at the very end of one of Jesus' most famous sermons called the Sermon on the Mount. And during the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus covers all kinds of topics, a lot of territory, but this is what he has to say about prayer. And here's what Jesus says to those who are listening. In Matthew chapter seven, verse seven through 11, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, 
The one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, would give him a snake? If, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So this one passage is really broken up into two sections. I believe the first section really gives insight and meaning to the first. In verse nine through 11, Jesus uses this image of a good-willed earthly father to help in our understanding of the function and the nature of prayer. He says if a son were to go to his father and ask for bread, that father wouldn't give him a stone. If he asked for a fish, he wouldn't give him a snake. So if an earthly father can respond to our children's requests in a way that is best for them, shouldn't we be able to trust our heavenly father to do the same? Now, I want to be clear, I realize this illustration breaks down a little bit in our culture because we don't all have earthly fathers who want the best for us. And there are fathers who don't look out for the best interest of their children. However, in this passage, Jesus is speaking here about a good-willed earthly father, one who longs to bless and to challenge his children, that they might grow and mature into all that they can become. And so in Jesus' mind, according to this passage, prayer is a communication with a loving, heavenly Father. At its very core, prayer is a communication with a loving, heavenly Father, where we can speak to him and he'll respond to us. Now, those verses then give insight to the first couple of verses, verses 7 through 9. And in 7 through 9, Jesus offers three action words that help us discern how to interact with him when we spend time in prayer. Jesus offers these three words regarding prayer life. He says, ask, seek, knock. Ask, seek, knock. And in the Greek language, these three words are called imperatives, which essentially mean that they are commands from God. They are commands for how we should interact with prayer. But even more than that, they're they're present imperatives, meaning they're not just a one-time command, they're a command that's given to us to do continuously. So it might be better read, Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. And we find as as we read through this passage, there's a unique feature that takes place as well, and that is a progressive intensity from asking, and it will be given, seeking, and you will find, and knocking, and the door will be opened to you. So the first thing that Jesus commands is this, ask, ask with confidence. This is the simplest of the action words that Jesus offers here. When we ask for something, we're making a request and we're anticipating something in return. God, please provide for me. God, please help me in this situation. God, please heal my loved one. And when we ask, we're not demanding, we're polite, we're patient. But we ask with the confidence in the ability God has to work on our behalf because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's a confidence there. Whenever my daughter, my four-year-old daughter, Murray, comes to me, asks me for something, she does it with such confidence. I mean, she will come up and be like, Dad, I would like a cup of milk. Like, no problem. And she knows I'm going get, to get a cup of milk. She'll come to me and say, Dad, toss me up in the air because she's seen my muscles. She's confident that I can do that. <laughs> Total joke. But if she were to come to me and say, Dad, teach me to play piano, I would say, Honey, you've reached my limit. I have no ability when it comes to piano. I can teach you nothing about piano, but I can tell you this, she would still ask with confidence because she knows the kind of love and care and compassion that I have for her. She'll ask anything. 
And she'll ask it with confidence. When we ask with confidence, it's because that we have a God who has no limits. There is no limit to him. He split the Red Sea. He fed Israel with manna. He pulled on skin and became one of us. He raised Jesus from the dead. God can do anything. And so because of that, we ask with confidence. We also have a God who loves us with an unconditional and everlasting love. So we bring our requests to him, trusting that there is nothing that's too big for him and that he loves us with all that he has. Secondly, Jesus says, seek, seek with expectancy. Ask with confidence, seek with expectancy. While asking relies solely on the response of the one who's being asked, seeking indicates an action on our own. We seek because we're looking for something. We seek because we know there's something to find. When I lose my keys at home in the morning and I have to get to work, and I'm looking for the keys, I have to seek those out. And that typically means yelling for my wife because she probably knows where they are. Shout out to Jenna Miller. Seeking takes more effort on our part because it requires us to strive even more for the things that we desire. And, and what we do then is we seek, we know that sometimes it can be bothersome. It may take too long. It might be too difficult. It might be frustrating. And sometimes it might remain elusive. But I can't give up seeking because it's the most important thing in my life, typically, when I'm seeking it out. So when Jesus commands us to seek with our prayer life, it has a way of maturing us, refining us, teaching us, strengthening us. One of my family's favorite thing to do in the summertime is to go to the beach. And our favorite thing to do at the beach is to search for shark's teeth. Anybody else in the room? No? Good. What is funny is I'm the kind of guy who literally could look for shark's teeth all day long, like risk the, the, the red back from the sun, the sore hamstrings when it's all said and done. But I will search for shark's teeth because when I find one, it's like winning the lottery. I mean, there's such a payoff there because you're looking through all the grains of sand. But when I find one, and what I find is if I can just locate one, I have a whole new expectancy for what could possibly happen over the next 10, 20 30 hours as I continue to search for shark's teeth. So Jesus says to us, seek with expectancy. There have been times in my life where I have searched for the heart of God, searched for the right answer to a circumstance. I have sought out God's guidance. And when he's responded through both the mundane and the miraculous, it has taught me to keep searching for the gift in this life that comes from a good father. Because even in searching for that gift, it actually draws us closer to the one who gives in the end. So seek with expectancy. Third, Jesus says knock. Knock with persistence. There are two obvious things that we can see from this instruction, this command that Jesus gives of knocking. First, if we're knocking, there must be some element of resistance. There must be some door at this point in time that is closed. And so Jesus invites us, continue to knock. Continue to knock. Because if that door doesn't open with a possibility or potential behind it, that door may actually lead us to a better door that we never saw in the beginning. But continue to knock. Continue to knock. It takes persistence. It takes a boldness. I recently saw some stats this week about Usain Bolt, you know, the record-holding Jamaican sprinter who has run a total of two minutes on the way to win eight gold medals in three Olympics and earn $119 million. He's run for two minutes. Not only that, but 
I didn't realize that in order to run two minutes in the Olympics, he has trained for 20 years. Running every day, working hard every day to run for a total of 115 seconds. That's persistence. That's never giving up. That's dedication. And when Jesus says knock, we knock with persistence. When it comes to praying to a good-willed heavenly father, we're commanded to keep knocking on that door, that door of opportunity, of possibility, of potential, knowing that that door that we stand before may be opened, and it may not. But that door that is not open might lead us to a better one and the right one if we continue to knock. I realize that everyone in this room this morning as we've come here for this time of prayer, perhaps there's something that's on your heart and it's heavy. We probably all have situations and circumstances that we wanna bring to God today, maybe desires, maybe even emergencies that we need God to work in a powerful way. I just wanna remind you that Matthew 7 says that we should come and ask with confidence. We should seek with expectancy and we should knock with persistence. But I have found to be true in my life and as I've watched others within this church over 20 years as I've served here, is that when it comes to prayer, typically the answer to our prayers come in one of three forms. Either yes, no, or not now. Yes, no, or not now. And this is the tough part of the passage. I mean, at the end of this passage, Jesus says that this God gives good gifts to us. Here's the problem. The definition of a good gift to God may be different from our definition of good. In fact, there may be things that are given to us or handed to us. I can tell you right now, when Jeff first had this experience, he would say, this is not good. But I can tell you in speaking with him, you saw his testimony now, looking back, God has done something here that he never could have expected. See, God's definition of good is not the same as ours. And so because of that, we can lean into trusting him and believing he has a perspective that we do not have. What I've found in my own life too often is when I pray, I, I treat God the way I treated my parents when I was young. I would go to my dad with some kind of request. Hey, dad, I want this. I need you to do this. I want you to respond in this way. And the problem was if my dad did not do exactly what I was asking for, guess what I did? Went to mom. Like y'all didn't do this. Mom, here's, my, here's what I want to have happen. I need this to do that. And if I didn't get the response there, I would just go, I would play the two sides so that I could get what I want. That's not the attitude of prayer that Jesus is talking about here. There's an attitude of prayer here where we have a trust of a good-willed, heavenly Father who loves us and who cares for us. And so because of that, we come to him. We ask confidently. We seek expectantly. We keep knocking persistently. We bring it before him. The key is to remember that he loves us and he wants what's best for us. So here's my question. What's holding you back from coming and presenting to God the concerns of your heart? What's holding you back from bringing your requests to our Heavenly Father? Sometimes we don't pray because we're afraid of the answer. Sometimes it's easier to not give it to God so that when if the answer is no, it doesn't hurt quite as much or potentially we're scared if God says yes because we know that he's calling us to something big. Sometimes it's easier just to keep it to ourselves and to pray. Sometimes we don't pray because we're embarrassed. We don't want anybody to know in the room that there's something that might be going on within our life. We certainly don't want God to know about what's going on, the fight that we have. I got a spoiler for you. God already knows. He's already aware. And he's inviting you to bring it to him. Don't be embarrassed. 
Don't pretend any longer. Offer it to him in faith. Sometimes we don't pray because we feel bad about asking. Maybe in our heart and mind, the thing that we want God to do is so small. I mean, surely there are people around the world that have much bigger needs than I do. And so because of that, it feels kind of, kind of uh, jealous or kind of ridiculous for me to come and bring this to God. And you know, certainly he shouldn't do something about this. Don't have that attitude. God cares about the big things of our life, but he also cares about the small things. He can handle both. So we can bring them to him. And maybe lastly, sometimes we don't pray because we feel like we can handle it on our own. I'm the most guilty. We don't need God to answer our prayers because in the end, we feel like we can fix our problems ourselves. We're strong enough, we're smart enough, we're innovative enough, we can solve the issue. But in our hearts, we know we have to have God. We need him to work within our life. So church, maybe today you're struggling with one or many of these different reasons to pray. But I wanna encourage you in just a moment as we make space and time for us to come and bring to our Heavenly Father the concerns of our life, I want you to confidently bring them and ask. I want you to seek with expectancy. I want you to knock with persistence. Perhaps you have prayed this prayer more than you can possibly think or imagine. Keep knocking, keep bringing it to Jesus. There's nothing to lose for us when we ask, seek, and knock because we have a heavenly father who cares for us, who wants the best for us. The apostle Paul actually writes about this as he writes to the early church in Rome, talking about the ability they had to trust in God in all things. Here's what Romans chapter eight, verse 28 says. Paul writes this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. God works for the good of all of those who love him. And so this morning, I wanna remind you as you ask, seek, and knock, that God promises to take all things, and that means all things, the good things, the bad things, the big things, the small things, the mundane things, the miraculous things. God promises to work through all of them for our good and for his glory. And we can trust him for that. We have nothing to lose when it comes to prayer. We can bring it to God this morning. So I'm gonna pray in a moment. I just wanna create a space and a time for us to maybe center ourselves on God, to invite him to awaken within our hearts the things that we need to bring to him today. And then I'm gonna give you some instruction about what's gonna happen in the room over the next few minutes together. So if you would, bow with me, let's pray together. Jesus, first, I want you to know how thankful I am that you are trustworthy, that you are faithful, and that you can do all things. And so God, I pray for every single person in this room today that you'd speak to our hearts right now, that you'd awaken us to the things that, that we hold dear, that we want you to do within our life for the life of a loved one, the things we want you to do within our world. God, we wanna bring them to you today. Whatever gives us anxiety or worry, we bring them to you today. Whatever has us in bondage, and broken, we bring them to you today. Whatever sicknesses are in this room, God, we bring them to you today in the name of Jesus. We ask, God, we seek, and we knock. The door might be open to us. 
So Father, we thank you for this time together. Would you help us to be bold today, to come before your throne because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. It's in your name that we pray. And together everyone said, amen.